Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. But here's the thing, in Revelation chapter 1, we have this outline for what the book is, all right? And Jesus tells John to write the things that you've seen, which is this incredible revelation of Jesus that Jesus gives to John. So he writes this description of Jesus. And then he says, write the things which are, which we see in chapters 2 and 3. It's the church age. And we saw how that applies to individual churches, historically to the churches that they were written to, but also how it can have a personal application for each of us. Each of us fall within one of those categories. Maybe we're Ephesus, right? We've left our first love, but maybe we're Smyrna. We're being persecuted for our faith. So that's the things which are what Jesus was referring to, chapters 2 and 3. Now in chapter 4, we see the church, the beginning of chapter 4, being raptured into heaven. The church leaves the earth, and as the church leaves the earth, God begins to pour out his wrath on an unbelieving world. Now, here's the thing with God's wrath, is the purpose of God's wrath is and always will be to lead you into his presence, to draw you close to him. It isn't to make you suffer. It isn't to make you miserable. It's to wake you up. And so there's an unbelieving world that is left behind when the church is taken and God graciously pours out his wrath to try to bring them to a point of repentance. But really the decision is ours, is it not? So that's what we've been. We've been in the midst of these judgments, this wrath being poured out. So it begins by Jesus opening the first seal. And if we bring up this graphic real quick, you can see what this was. Here's, there's seven seals. Those seals... We've seen that was the title deed to the earth. And so Jesus is literally redeeming the world from the control of Satan. And as each seal is being broken, there are judgments that are coming forth. Remember the horses were coming forth and all of these things were happening. So these seven seals are broken. Now the seventh seal happens. And at the seventh seal, seven trumpets begin to be sounded. All right, and so we've gone through the first six trumpets now. The last time we looked, we looked at the last three of those trumpets are the three woes. We've already looked at the first and the second woe, or trumpet number five and trumpet number six. Today, what we're going to be getting into is trumpet number seven. So last time we met back in December and we went through Revelation, we were looking at this kind of like an interlude. We were looking back on what was happening up to that point. It was like the Cliff's Notes version. God was giving us an aerial perspective of everything that had happened in those first seals and those first six trumpets. Now in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15, we're getting back to the present time. Okay, we're not in an overview anymore. Now we're back in our timeline, and the seventh angel is going to sound his trumpet, and with that sounding, it's the third woe. That word woe, it means danger. It means warning. It means you better watch out, because God's wrath is being poured out completely, and you do not want to get caught up in God's wrath. Now, let's read this together, then we'll come back through and we'll dissect this. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, 
And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God saying, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come because you have taken your great power and have reigned and the nations were angry and your wrath has come, the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple and there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. This is the crescendo at this point. Everything is leading up to this moment and at this moment as the seventh trumpet is sounded it ushers in the second half of the tribulation, better known as the Great Tribulation. We'll look at this in more detail next week. But if you want to read ahead, check out Matthew chapter 24, where Jesus warns about this period of time. Like suffering that has never, ever been seen on the face of the earth. That's what this last three and a half years of the tribulation will be characterized by. So this seventh angel sounds his trumpet. And as the trumpet is sounded, ushering in this great period of wrath and of judgment, we get a view, an inside view of what's happening in the throne room at that very moment. And here's the thing, my friends, is there is so much that we can learn and that we can discern from looking at this vision of God's throne room. And it's as if we're in this picture ourselves. It's as if we're participating in this story. And I am convinced, my friends, that if we put ourselves in this place, and if we catch this vision of God's glory like these elders caught, that we'll be better people for it. It will change the way we live in this world when we understand what's waiting for us in heaven. Do you see that principle being played out? Let me say that again. If we understand, if we understand the glory that awaits us in heaven, it will fundamentally change the way we live our lives here. Because when we understand what waits for us, our priorities change when our perspective changes. Now it says here that this seventh angel sounds the trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Right there, the first point that you need to jot down is that we're catching the language of faith. In heaven, they speak a different language than we do. We are bound by our earthly eyes. We see what's right in front of us and sometimes we remember the past. But we don't do a very good job of anticipating the future. Not like they do in heaven. Because the seventh trumpet is sounded and they say the kingdoms of this world have become God's. At that point, they weren't his yet, but it's as if they looked in faith and they know that seventh trumpet is sounded, God's going to pour out his wrath, and it's as good as finished, it's as good as done. That is the language of faith. Believing God at his word to such a degree that you speak about future happenings in the current tense. They didn't say the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God, did they? They said they have become the kingdom of God. 
They have. God spoke it, and so in my mind and in my heart and in my understanding, it's as good as it's already done. This is called proliptic language. And so my challenge for you this morning is, are we living proliptically? Are we reading God's promise and God's word and living, letting that change the way we live today? Here's what God's word says about you, and I want you to hear this. The scripture says that you have been perfected. It doesn't say that you're being made perfect. It says that you have been made perfect, that you are perfect. In the current tense, the way God sees you from his throne, he looks down upon you in all of your mess and with all of your baggage and with all of your guilt and with all of the shame that you walked in here this morning with, he looks down and he doesn't see you flawed and broken and a mess. He sees you perfectly. That's the grace that our God has for us. Now, here's the thing. The scripture says this. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 says, for by one offering, the offering that Jesus gave of his own body, by one offering, Jesus, he, Jesus, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. He has perfected us. The word perfected is teleos in the Greek. It literally means to make perfect, but it means something even deeper than that. It means to make full, to bring a fullness and to pour a fullness out upon it means to bring you to completion and to finish a work that is going on inside of you. And what the scripture tells us in Hebrews is that through the sacrifice of Jesus, he has made you perfect. He has finished the work in you. He has completed you perfectly. He has filled you to overflowing. Now that's the promise of God's word. But we do not live that way, do we? We still live straddled with guilt and straddled with shame and we're bogged down and weighted by the mess and the junk and the baggage that is our life. But God has called us to more than that. He says, I've perfected you and the way that I look at you is as someone who has been made perfect. Why don't you start seeing yourself that way, God would say. You are not the addict you are not the adulterer. You are not the thief. You are not the liar. When you hold on to those things, it's as if you look upon the bloodied body of our Savior on the cross and you say, that sacrifice you made was good enough for everyone else, but it wasn't good enough for me. As if your sin is so great, greater than everyone else's, that it can't be paid for on the cross by Jesus' blood. You have been made perfect. That's the language of faith. These elders in heaven, they saw this happen, and the loud voices said, the kingdom has become God's, not is going to become God's. The scripture doesn't say you're going to be made perfect. The scripture says he has made you perfect. Now start living like it. Now stop being bogged down by that junk. Stop being trapped by your sin. Stop looking at yourself as the thief, the addict, the adulterer. Start looking at yourself as a perfect being the way God has made you, what he did in and through you when he sent Jesus on the cross. Now, the scripture doesn't only say that you've been made perfect. The scripture also says that you're glorified. Now, this is interesting for us because we're still in a fallen state, are we not? We're still in these earthly bodies. We're still shackled by these bodies. There's still certain limitations that we have. 
But the language of faith says you have been glorified. Listen to this text. And if I had thought about it, I would have included two words here. And we're going to go over two words, so I'm going to give you a bonus one right now, all right? Romans chapter 8, verse 30. says, moreover, whom he predestined. In other words, those who he set apart for himself. Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And those whom he justified, these he is also glorified. It doesn't say that they will be justified. It says they've been justified. It doesn't say they will be glorified. It says that they're glorified. The word justified, it means to be vindicated. It means to be declared not guilty. It's when someone takes up your legal cause, comes to your defense, and declares you pure and clean and holy. And that's what God has done for us who are in Christ. You're justified. An easy way to remember this is just as if you'd never sinned. So why? Why do you allow the enemy to continue to tear you down and to break you into pieces over your past guilt? Your past bad decisions. When God's word clearly says that Jesus has justified you. It's just as if you'd never sinned. That's not you anymore. That's no longer your identity. Now you're clean and pure and holy and perfect in the eyes of God. But that text goes on. It says you've been justified, but you've also been glorified. You've been glorified. It has happened. In the eyes of God, you have a place of honor and exaltation, a place of splendor in his presence. That's how he sees you. You've been set free from your sin. You've been liberated from that, and you're no longer trapped. But in God's vision, in God's eyes, the way he sees you, he sees you through a scarlet lens that is the blood of Jesus, and he sees you glorified in a glorified state, standing right there in his presence right now this moment. That's the language of faith. And I want to live out my life according to the language of faith, not with doubt, not with guilt, and not with shame. So how are you living your life? Are you living your life proliptically? Are you living out the language of faith? When God's word says that you've been perfected, do you look in the mirror and see a being, a person who's been made perfect by the blood of Jesus? When you look in the mirror, do you see someone who's been justified just as if you'd never sinned? When you look in that mirror, do you see someone who's been glorified, who right now, the way God sees you, it's as if you're in glory, already exalted right there in his presence. Because the language of faith would walk out of here and say, that's the way God sees me, I'm going to start seeing myself that way. And I'm going to start living my life according to that language and not according to the language of fear and doubt and shame. See, God doesn't see you as that flawed individual. He sees you as perfect. The scripture actually says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. It says, this is the covenant or the promise that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds this. Listen, this is important. Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So God in his grace chooses to forget your sins, but you hold on to them? but you allow them to haunt you? God in his grace says as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I have removed your transgressions from you. The east and the west, those are going in opposite directions and they will forever. That's what God has done. I'll remember them no more. 
Are you living that life that has been set free? Are you living proliptically? Are we living our lives together as believers proliptically? Now, if this trumpet is sounded and the loud voices say the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms, they are the kingdoms of God, what does that mean about the state we're in today? Because that seventh trumpet hasn't yet sounded, has it? The first seal hasn't even been broken. Revelation hasn't even begun yet. So here's the thing. You have to understand that the world we live in today is fallen. It isn't the way God intended it to be. You see, God created man in his own image. He looked at everything he made. He says to man, you have dominion and multiply on the face of the earth. I'm giving you, I'm entrusting you with the care and the keeping of this world. That's what the scripture says. But at the sin, at original sin, when the forbidden fruit was taken of, man forfeited the earth. He was given charge over it. He forfeited the earth to Satan. Now, right now, presently, this world is under his care. It's under his control. It's under the control of Satan. That's why when somebody takes a step back and they say, why is it that there's so much suffering in this world? Why is it that babies are starving? Why is it that there's so much disease? Why is it that people are dying from droughts? Why is it? Why is it? Why is it? It's because we live in a fallen world. This is not how God intended it. We gave the keys over to Satan. And right now, these kingdoms are his. And we're going to look at this more in detail next week. But check this out. The scripture calls Satan the prince of the air. Listen to this. This is in Ephesians chapter 2 if you want to write this down. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. I'll read it to you. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That those who have fallen, those who have turned their backs on Jesus, those who have not accepted the finished work of the cross in their own lives, the scripture actually says that the prince of the air, Satan himself, is working in the sons of those people, in the sons of those who disobey. That's heavy, isn't it? Listen to this. It says, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. By nature, because of our fallen nature, we're children of wrath. We belong in the camp of Satan, but Jesus came and he did away with all of that. He set it all straight. He paid the price so we don't have to. He came with his love and his blood, and he made a way for us to get to heaven. We're no longer under the prince of the power of the air as believers, but he owns the keys to this kingdom, this world right now presently, until that seventh trumpet sounds. Now listen to this. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, But even if our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age have blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. That right now, currently, many people are blinded. They're blinded by the God of this age. That's Satan. You know what else the scripture says? The scripture calls in and refers to Satan as the ruler of this world in John chapter 12. Jesus said this in John chapter 12. He says, now, this is the judgment of the world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The one who rules this world is Satan. But then he follows that up, and he says, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men into myself. Jesus came to reclaim the kingdom. 
He says, right now, the ruler of this world is in control. But if I'm lifted up, if I'm raised up on the cross, I will draw all of those sons of disobedience, those children of wrath, into my grace. They'll be set free. Jesus came to reclaim what was lost. He came to purchase and buy back what we forfeited. Are you a part of that plan? Are you a part of that movement? Are you a part of what God is trying to do today? Because he's reclaiming the lives of lost sinners of whom I used to be one. And his heart for every single lost sinner that you know in your life is to reclaim that person. And the scripture's clear that when he's lifted up, he'll draw those people into his presence. When you lift up and you exalt the name of Jesus, when you lift up and you exalt the cross of Christ, that something happens and stirs in the hearts of those children of wrath, in the hearts of those sons of disobedience, and the gospel woos them into his presence. Now, I think we learn from this language of faith that we have to have our mind set on heaven and it can't be distracted by here and now. And what we see here in this text back in Revelation chapter 11 verse 15 says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That he is the one who's going to reign forever and ever. A big campaign slogan in today's political scene is make America great again. You guys heard that, right? Here's the thing. Making America great again is impossible unless America makes God great again. It doesn't matter who we elect. It doesn't matter who is there. Amen. You can clap for that. It doesn't matter who's in that place. Because as long as we refuse to acknowledge and glorify God in the presence of our culture, in the presence of our country, America can't be great again. God will allow us to suffer so that we will be wooed back into his presence. Trump, Palin, Duck Dynasty guy, doesn't matter who's endorsing who. It just doesn't matter because God needs to be exalted. And he one day will rule and reign forever. And that's what my heart is looking forward to. You can take this world. Just give me Jesus. As the song says, right? So this brings us to the posture of praise. And I think that when we see this glimpse, we catch this glimpse of the throne room, right? We have to understand the motivation behind these hearts that are falling down in worship. Verse 16, the 24 elders who represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of the first church. These are representative of everyone who has come to a saving faith in Christ, What they do when this trumpet sounds and this loud voice booms that the kingdom now belongs to God and to his Christ, they who usually sit before God, they fall on their faces and they worship God. When they realize what God is doing and reclaiming what was forfeited, their only option is to fall on their face in worship of God. You see, here's the thing, my friends, is in this life, we can become so distracted with our circumstances that we lose sight of the only one who can really rescue us from the tragedy that we create in our lives. And that's why we begin our service with worship. Because our hope is that when we come together and we sing these songs and we lift high the name of Jesus... That all of the distractions and all of the cares of your life that you came through those doors with will be left at the foot of the cross so you can truly come into his presence and see him for who he is and what he wants to do in your life. To not be distracted. 
but to see him wholly and perfectly and completely. I wonder this morning, were you distracted in worship? Was there something playing in the back of your head that you just couldn't get rid of? Because God wants to deliver you from that this morning. He wants to be the only thing that you see when you close your eyes. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.